Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Ben's Record Talk. Today we're going to talk about an interesting bunch of records that are uh, known as war speech records. So they're, they're records that were just produced either during a war, uh, talking about the current events, or after a war for historical purposes. And I have two sides of that. First one I'm going to share with you is a record that was recorded by Benito Mussolini before World War II. And as, as you may know, he's a, he was a fascist dictator in Italy. And this record is, it's called, uh, in, in Italian, it's called, uh, I'm not going to read the Italian because I would butcher that horribly, but it's, it, the translation of it is, to the people of North America and to the Italians of America, as in Italian immigrants. Um, and he was basically telling them to make America great um, because they were Italians and he was Italian. Uh, the other side of the record, there's obviously two sides of a record, is uh, part two of the speech. So it was, that's why it had to be two sides because it was long. But yeah, e each side is about four or five minutes long. And uh, yeah, th this is, uh, the, the front of the record looks different from most records by this label because it's a special record by Benito Mussolini. But it's uh, from the uh, Victor Talking Machine Company. They made a lot of records back in the day. It's an orthophonic recording. It's a record number 35803, uh, made in 1928. But it's, it's, it's quite interesting. This is a very, very valuable record. It's, I'd say it's worth about $130. And I, and I got it for, I want to say, uh, 2 or $3, which is actually more than I usually pay for records. But I knew it was special when I saw it. And I got it. It's a it's a very interesting record, um, and you'll notice when when you hear it, there's a lot of noise that is coming out out of the record that is not music. That's called surface noise. I think I've spoken about this on my last one, but that's just age, and uh, it's when the grooves of the record decay a little bit. It's um, it it degrades the sound, but it also creates noise on the surface of the record. So. And th those ha that's how records are graded. So if like you have a record with a ton of service noise and it kind of looks nasty, which this one does, it plays better than it looks. But uh, yeah, they, they always have scratches on them. But with these older records, when they have scratches, it's it doesn't really make a big difference. As you know, if a regular thirty-three RPM record were to get a scratch, it would start skipping. These records almost never skip. Um, very very tough records. Um, I guess I'll, I'll play it for you guys. Right. This is a uh, part one of a uh, speech to the people of North America and to the Italians of America, uh, by Benito Mussolini. far giungere alla grande nazione d'oltre al cielo, ai suoi cittadini e dagli operosi e migrati italiani la mia voce. Ho per gli Stati Uniti l'amicizia più cordiale e trovo che con pochi paesi come con essi l'Italia moderna può chiedere stretti ed ausenti legami. Infatti, via i continui scambi commerciali, sia l'aprire di grandi correnti umani, sia anche un innegabile desiderio di conoscersi ed affettarsi, 
hanno stabilito attivi rapporti tra i due paesi ed hanno fatto nascere una reciproca comprensione morale da cui è naturalmente scaduta una scambievole simpatia. Entrambe le nazioni, infatti, hanno molti punti in comune, come l'America, anche in taglio di oggi, è tanto, sempre viene scritto in se stesso. Aggiungete tutto ciò, il fascino che le nostre due città esercitano l'una sull'altra, la tradizione americana per la nostra civiltà millenaria è sempre differente, l'interesse italiano per la civiltà americana in pieno sviluppo orgoglioso. Io stesso sono di questa civiltà americana un sincero ammiratore. Vedine, nonostante le sue origini europee, sono a forza nuova, ricca di poderosi elementi del tutto proprio. La sua originalità più marcata e più efficiente è l'avere come base il lavoro, inteso con una nuova e bella concezione. Il lavoro, infatti, non è più concepito come una specie di castigo per l'uomo che è presto civile per un tragico e inutabile destino, ma invece concepito come la vera finalità della vita. Ecco un punto di vista che ha veramente una grande importanza nella storia del contatto. Gli Stati Uniti si offrono così l'esempio ammirevole di questo stimolo ardente e indomabile in lavoro, di quest'ansia di produrre ricchezza e di spanderla poi nel mondo per la sua maggiore fecondità. Vi è accusata per necessità di essere dominata esclusivamente da fattori meccanici e materiali, di essere impermeata solo su necessità elaborati. Nulla di più fatto. La civiltà nordamericana ha dato alla civiltà spirituale del mondo un contributo non dietro. Nella scienza ha prodotto la genialità a Grecia, nelle lettere e nella filosofia, può avanzare le glorie di Longfellow, Cooper, Whitehall, Dimerson, Paul, Londres, Gwen, Genesis. E queste civiltà, io credo, ancora chiuderanno il futuro. Essa creerà immancabilmente un'arte nuova, giovane, spirito e fresco di corso, un'arte con caratteri veramente propri sarà rappresentativo del sentimento, del pensiero e della vita del popolo americano. Tra mischio e la società americana ci sono oggi milioni di italiani che si sono costituiti da più di una volta. Sono finanziari, professionisti, industriali, operai, unici e costituiti, dei ministri per maggiore rispetto. Pur conservando il senso del cuore, l'amore per la patria lontana, il punto della terra ove sono nati, essi sono profondamente e sinceramente attaccati alla grande nazione in cui vivono ed opera. E via, come non perdo occasione per ogarmi per la loro condotta che li ha fatti circondare da feste da vicino, e che non feste di raccomandare loro la disciplina e il massimo rispetto per le istituzioni locali e la devozione per il paese di loro. All right, that was our first part. And uh, now I'll flip the record over, grab it off the turntable, and put it right back on. Animato da tali sentimenti, convinto dell'esistenza tra Stati Uniti e Italia, dei profondi legami di cui ho parlato, 
Ho veduto con grande contentimento parte dentro di strada della grande repubblica stellata, la conoscenza dell'Italia e la comprensione del futuro. Ora, finalmente, tutti in America conoscono il popolo italiano non più come un elemento decorativo di paesaggi romantici, ma come un popolo ricco di patriottismo, di operosità e di energia, disciplinato e equilibrato a un vero e riconoscono il suo spirito nuovo, in cui è modificata ogni attività, in cui ognuno agisce, mostro da un superiore fine nazionale. E quasi tutti, oggi, vedono nel regime fascista quel che esso realmente è, un movimento popolare che ha esaltato tutti i valori nazionali, un governo forte che ha riorganizzato la nazione, modificando nella produttività e l'energia, un sistema politico che ha creato uno Stato veramente nuovo e moderno, un edificio politico-sociale organico e stabile, in cui tutti gli interessi sono equilibrati e armonizzati. Questo riconoscimento da parte degli Stati Uniti non poteva mancare. All'un fuori, infatti, delle somiglianze spirituali che ho già ricordato, anche altri fattori hanno inevitabilmente concorso. Entrambi i popoli hanno uno perché la poco forza. L'altro perché da poco risolto il senso di dover completare, accettare, direi quasi politicare e la condizione di dover anteporre a tutto le necessità di sviluppo della loro parte. Tanti in Italia sono oggi insomma più vicini che mai, nati per intendersi a causa delle loro intime rassomiglianze. I due popoli sono andati sempre più conoscendo e sempre più stimando. Non divise gli interessi di storia, ma legati a continui rapporti che sono sempre più intimamente avvicinati. Entrambi, ieri una guerra combattuta insieme, traggono da essa, risolto all'intenzione finanziaria, solo ragioni di consentimento e ricordi di storia. Produttori, uno di lavoro e uno di lavoratori, trovano le divisioni italiane in Italia, perfetto esempio della funzione di civiltà, un portentoso e profitto tratto di unione. Di essere visto così, un rapporto indissolubile, di cordialità, di amicizia e di collaborazione. Ora in poi, due paesi potranno, ne sono certo, percorrere insieme un lungo cammino. Concludendo, voglio che la mia voce si rivolga ai cittadini americani la mia ammirazione per le loro virtù e la mia simpatia per le loro facce, e dica ai miei connazionali immigrati il mio servo del corpo il mio elogio per la loro flessibile e la loro infaticabile operosità. Americani e italiani d'America, io vi unisco tutti nello stesso valoroso saluto. All right, that was our first record. All right, and the next record is probably, or definitely something that you will recognize. This is uh, Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death, uh, of course, by Patrick Henry. Um, and I really, I really like this speech. It's one of my favorites. And uh, it was uh, uh, first said at the uh, Virginia Convention in 1775. Uh, I, I, the reason I like it is it because it's, it's like when it when he's talking he's he was a very great orator uh, and also he says make use upon our power and 
and like rally to beat the British. That's his main point. Um, like he's like, all let's all band together. Let's all be one and beat the British and make this country ours. Um, and it's, of course, it's about the Revolutionary War. And he says uh, that, and also the whole time he's also saying that, I mean, there is not peace. It's the war has already begun. Um, there's no room to retreat. Just let the war come, and we'll we'll beat them. Um, and he's talking about also talking about how uh, slavery is bad, of course, um, because it is, <laughs> um, and that just the core American principles that I think are really great. And this is uh, recited by uh, Harry E. Humphrey because, of course, uh, Patrick Henry was not alive in uh, when this was recorded in uh, 1914, in September of 1914. This is uh, Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death. In vain after these things may we indulge the fond hope of peace and reconciliation. There is no longer any room for hope. If we wish to be free, we must fight. I repeat it, sir, we must fight. An appeal to arms and to the god of battles is all that is left us. They tell us, sir, that we are weak, unable to cope with so formidable an adversary. But when shall we be stronger? Will it be the next week or the next year? Will it be when we are totally disarmed? And when a British guard shall be stationed in every house, shall we gather strength by irresolution and inaction? Shall we acquire the means of effectual resistance by lying supinely on our backs and hugging the delusive phantom of hope until our enemies shall have found us hand and foot? Uh, we are not weak if we make a proper use of those means which the God of nature has placed in our power. Three millions of people armed in the holy cause of liberty, and in such a country as that which we possess, are invincible against any force which our enemy can send against us. Besides, sir, we shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations and who will raise up friends to fight our battles for us. The battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, the active, the brave. Besides, sir, we have no election. If we were base enough to desire it, it is now too late to retire from the contest. There is no retreat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged. Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable, and let it come. I repeat it, sir, let it come. It is in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war is actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet 
as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. For me, that speech really just, it gets, draws your attention the whole time. It's, I, I really like it. It's one of my favorite American speeches that's ever existed. It's really great. All right. And uh, this is actually, it's, it's funny because this is a 12 inch record. So is the last one. And um, it's record number 35377. And the other one was uh, record 35803. So it's actually just a few, like 30 odd records away. Um, from each other, but a very long distance apart because they did not release as many 12-inch records. All right, the other side is an even more familiar speech that I'm sure all of you will know, it's a, or at least know of. It's a Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Um, I mean, it's one of the most famous speeches in American history. It only lasted three minutes, but um, as the man will tell you, Harry E. Humphrey, he says that there was a, a man who was doing, who was speaking before Lincoln, who was going to be the main speaker, Edward M. Everett, Edward, uh, Edward Everett. He was, he spoke for two hours and it says on the record that his, his speech was forgotten. So we, uh, we have no recording of it or, you know, know of it, but actually when, when I was researching it, there is a recording of it, um, or not a recording, a, uh, uh, we know what he said, but, um, so, I mean, back in 1914, I guess they, they didn't know. So, and, uh, this is dead, uh, delivered at the dedication of the soldier's cemetery in Gettysburg, November 18th, 1863. And I was actually at Gettysburg, um, a year, about a year ago. And it, as he says in the record, it's, it's a hollowed ground. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy to be there. You can feel the death just radiating off of every surface and you can imagine how how big and bloody that battle must have been uh, i mean oh it just and there there's one building with a big cannonball right in the middle of it and it's it's the, it's the building has been preserved and there's just a big hole in the brick actually um that where a cannonball went right through it um i mean it was a horrible war not pointless but it was a horrible, horrible war. Um, yeah, and it was yeah in right in the 1863, like the heart, like the um, in the uh, flaming mess of garbage. It was the Civil War. It was right in the middle of that. Um, yeah, uh, this is to commemorate the National Cemetery. And, uh, here we go, and the, uh, the man will tell you a little bit about the history of the song. I mean, of the uh, of the uh, speech before the record starts, or the, before the uh, speech actually starts, because uh, it's only three minutes long. All right, here we go. The National Cemetery at Gettysburg was dedicated on November the 19th, 1863. It commemorated the decisive battle of the Great Civil War, which had been fought there some four months earlier. The oration of the day was delivered by the brilliant orator Edward Everett and occupied two hours. 
At its close, President Lincoln, with a few notes which he had penciled on the train while coming from Washington, spoke for barely three minutes. The speech of Everett has been forgotten. The speech of Lincoln will be remembered until languages are dead and lips are done. It measures up to all of Daniel Webster's famous requirements that a great speech consists of three things, the man, the subject, and the occasion. These are Lincoln's undying words. Here we go. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here, have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note no long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us the living, rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored heads we take increased devotion to that cause for which they here gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for and the people. for the people, shall not perish from the earth. There we go. That was uh, one of the most famous speeches in American history. Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. And uh, that concludes our second episode of uh, Ben's Record Talk on war speech records. Uh, stay tuned for next episode. Uh, goodbye.